Hi, I'm Odette Youssef in for Jen White, and this is Reset. When I moved to Chicago about a decade ago, I remember being told that this city had the largest Polish population outside of Warsaw. Well, that's not exactly true. In the U.S., New York City's is bigger. But author and historian Dominic Pasiga credits Chicago with being the unofficial capital of American Polonia, that is, the Polish diaspora. In his book American Warsaw, The Rise, Fall, and Rebirth of Polish Chicago, Pasiga follows the story of how Poles came to Chicago in four waves of immigration, starting from around the U.S. Civil War, and how more recently there's been a reverse migration back to Poland. And at the heart of the book, he asks a question. What did and what does it mean to be Polish? The idea of Polskość, what it means to be Polish, was very important. Uh, because the immigrants, uh, being of peasant stock, were not originally in the early 19th century even considered to be Poles. They were sort of considered to be social class, lesser lesser peoples uh, by the uh, nobility. But after about 1863, the nobility understood them as part of the nation and uh, coming into part of the struggle for Polish independence. Poland had disappeared at the end of the 18th century uh, politically, not culturally or socially, but politically. Its three neighbors had divided it up. So there were lots of questions. Were they Austrian? Were they German? Were they Russian? Were they Polish? Were they Jewish? Were they Ukrainian? What were they? And this was something that had to be sort of figured out. You know, the impact of the French Revolution, I think, came a little later in Poland because of the divisions. And the French Revolution created nationalism uh, in many ways in the modern European context. And uh, this sort of nationalism only emerged about 100 years after the uh, French Revolution in, the East, in Eastern Europe because of these uh, large empires that ruled. You know, you weren't a citizen of Russia. You were a subject of the Tsar. You weren't a citizen of Austria or Germany. You were subjects of the Kaiser. So this uh, emergence actually in, in the southern part of Poland, where my family's from, Galicia, they became more aware of politics and Polish nationalism earlier than in the other sections. Hmm. So, you know, when we often talk about the Polish American community, mm-hmm. we talk about them as if it's a monolith. Right. Um, but that's never really been the case. Um, what were some of the lines that the community divided along, even from its early days? Well, from its early days, uh, who's a Pole? What is a Pole? Uh, the Polish Roman Catholic Union felt, uh, those that's a fraternal organization, are two major ones, Polish Roman Catholic Union, Polish National Alliance. The Polish Roman Catholic Union felt that you had to be Catholic and speak Polish. It's a pretty simple definition. The Polish National Alliance said you had to believe in Poland. Uh, so you could be a Jew and believe in Poland, speak Yiddish, but if you believed in Poland, you were a Pole, or a, a Lithuanian who spoke Polish and believed in Poland. So there was a difference of opinion. One was very sort of limited, one was a lot of, sort of wider, is sort of a um, what we, we might call a Jagiellonian or Piast approach. That is, the, the ruling families earlier in Poland had embraced all these other ethnicities because nationalism wasn't very important at the time. Mm. So once it becomes important, it becomes a more constrained definition. So these, this sort of first wave of mm-hmm. immigrants, they were very focused on what was going on in the homeland. And many even imagined that they would return there. Mm-hmm. The majority, I'm sure, yeah. How did World War I become sort of a turning point for the community here? Well, World War I is a turning point for the community here, but it's also a huge turning point mm. for the community in Poland because Poland regains its independence. 
In the United States, the Polish uh, diaspora raises an army of about 30,000 men who uh, travel to the Western Front to fight under the Polish flag. The Blue Army? The Blue Army, mm-hmm. or we call it in America usually Holler's Army. And uh, and then they eventually go to Poland to fight against the Soviets. In the, uh, you know, World War I doesn't end in Poland until 1921, really, not 1918, but 1921. And so this um, Polonia here sent millions of dollars uh, to Poland uh, in an attempt to uh, Polish relief of, you know, Poland was the West, was the Eastern Front of World War I. The, the country was devastated by Russian and German and Austrian armies marching across it constantly, uh, burning houses, destroying cities, etc. So there was a tre- threat of famine uh, after the war uh, in Polonia uh, in the United States, but, but particularly in Chicago, organized uh, the Gray Samaritans, which was a group of nurses to help uh, with Polish children who were almost dying from famine uh, in, in Eastern Europe. So that became very important. But it also then, of course, right after World War I, immigration from Eastern Europe is cut off by uh, congressional fiat. So suddenly there's not this constant stream of people coming in. Polonia in America feels it's under attack. It's being, you know, much like the immigration problem today where people are saying, you know, keep these people out. These are people who will never become Americans. These are people who can never assimilate. Well, they said the same thing about Eastern Europeans, especially Poles and Jews and Italians and Greeks and so forth. And so uh, the doors snap shut. So now Polonia can go back to Poland, and some do, but a minority or they can try to figure out what's going on here. And what does it mean to be Polish-American in places like Chicago and Detroit and Buffalo and New York City? Mm. So then we, you know, then we kind of skip over the Great Depression, head mm-hmm. into World War II, right? And Polonia's response to that was very different. Um, tell us about that. Yeah. In World War II, Polonia can't raise an army. Polish-Americans by this point were, especially the younger generation, the first and second generation born in the United States, were identifying more as being Americans. They were playing baseball, not soccer, right? They were uh, speaking what I call, what we call in Chicago, poszikagosku. That means uh, you take an English word, you put a Polish ending on it, you know. Try that in Poland. It doesn't work. Uh, so there's this, like they say, Spanglaise today, right? Mm-hmm. So it's the same kind of thing. So these kids didn't, weren't going to join a Polish army, but they were going to join the American army in large numbers, especially after December 7th, 1941. But Polonia raised money, sent money for Polish war relief, sent medicine, sent food, sent clothing, and after World War II, uh, uh, greeted the uh, displaced persons. So in the aftermath of World War II, there was a second wave of immigration. Mm -hmm. How were these migrants different from those that came in the first wave, and how do they fit in with the community here? Well, largely, uh, these people were, of course, raised in an independent Poland. They spoke Polish better than Polish Americans did. Uh, they had a better control over the grammar. It was a very difficult grammar. They were, in many cases, better educated. There was a peasant component of this, too, of course, because many displaced persons were taken to slave labor camps. But the leadership of the post-World War II era were generally officers and intellectuals, et cetera, who had left Poland and could not return because of the communist government. They felt were very anti-communistic. So when they came here, there was a break. I mean, here was this older generation of Polish-Americans who were in charge of the fraternal organizations and other institutions, the church. There was this new group, and there was a clash. The new group said, well, we speak Polish better than you do. We're real Poles. The old group says, no, you're not. We, we're, we're in charge of Polish-America. And there was this sort of class conflict. And it would repeat itself with the solidarity immigration later on in the 1990s. So whenever groups come in at different waves – 
there's always a clash between the older group and the newer group. This is true with Hispanic Americans. This was true with uh, black Americans who came to Chicago during the Great Migration. Southern blacks and northern blacks, you know, clashed. So, you know, it, it, it could be expected. But in Polonia, of course, it, it created a rift, but a rift that slowly healed over. Hmm. So this is an interesting time period because it's also when we started to see um, the shift from residency from city neighborhoods mm-hmm. in Chicago to the suburbs. Talk a little bit about what was behind that. Well, as late as the 1970s, the Poles were still primarily – Polish Americans were still primarily urban. Uh, they were still settled basically in those five neighborhoods and outlying neighborhoods beyond them. So as you move up Milwaukee Avenue, you know, you see Polish churches. If you drive – uh, the Dan- uh, I'm sorry, the Kennedy Expressway, you see a ring of Polish churches going northwest. On the south side following Archer Avenue and 47th Street out to southwest, in south Chicago into Hegwish and then eventually into Indiana. But what happens, of course, is that Polish Americans begin to climb the ladder of mobility. They're a lot better educated, going to college and university for the first time, GI Bill, etc., And so Polish Americans are now reaching out into the bungalow belt and then beyond into the suburbs. So that by 1990, 2000, the vast majority of Polish Americans are living in the suburban area. Today, I'd say about 90% of all Polish Americans live in the suburbs. And that has implications politically, economically, socially, culturally for the city itself. A lot of older Polish parishes, there were over 60 Polish-dominated parishes in the city of Chicago, Catholic parishes, uh, and along with uh, uh, Polish national Catholic churches. Many of those are now being closed down because I grew up in a neighborhood back at the yards that had, uh, I think, 12 or 14 Catholic churches in two square miles. That's better than Rome, right? (laughs) And and, I mean, around the corner was a Lithuanian church. Up the street was a Slovak church. There was a Czech church. Keep those two apart. Uh, There was a Mexican church, you know, et cetera. Then uh, there had been several synagogues. Uh, uh, There were later on some uh, mosques, I'm sorry, et cetera. And so, you know, it was a very diverse neighborhood in many ways except for African-Americans at the time. But when the neighborhood becomes all Hispanic and all African-American, then there's no need for 14 churches. And as you know, uh, active Catholics have sort of dropped off in the last few years, and there's a lack of priests, et cetera. So many of these parishes are closing. People ask me, how can we keep the churches open? I say, move back to the city and give money. Mm-hmm. You know, many of uh, the Poles that did come here were working in industries like mm-hmm. steel and early on in the meatpacking plants mm-hmm. and so on. What did the sort of deindustrialization in Chicago mean for the community? For the inner city, uh, Polonia, it was devastating to a large part. The first real crisis in deindustrialization happened in meatpacking. So from about 1952 to 1961, the major meatpackers left the city of Chicago. The stockyard was still there. The stockyard was a livestock market. And I even worked there for a few years as a livestock handler and a a guard uh, until 1971 when they closed. But... Once those big industries began to leave, that meant less opportunity for people in the inner city. However, remember, Polish Americans are climbing that mobility ladder during this time period also. And they're moving, especially after World War II. A lot of the young men and women who came back from fighting in World War II uh, wanted clean jobs, what they called clean jobs. And what that meant working at Western Electric, that meant working at Johnson & Johnson, that meant working at uh, newer industries and moving away from meatpacking. Meatpacking can be a very... Uh, not so much dangerous, but a sort of uh, you know uh, job that wears you down pretty quickly. 
Uh, steel, of course, was also dangerous, and it was dominated by the Poles in, in the 19, 19, 90, 1920s, 30s. By the 1990s, that's being starting to be dominated by Hispanics. It's really deindustrialization in many ways hits the Hispanic and African-American community harder uh, because these older white ethnic groups had already climbed the mobility ladder and moved out. So tell us a little bit about um, political involvement and political representation among uh, Polish Americans here in Chicago. Well, you know, I mean, the Poles uh, formed the Polish American Democratic Organization about 1931 or so to help Anton Cermak become mayor. And he, he was were, Czech. He but, was Czech, yeah. yes. But he reached out to the Poles. I mean, he knew that they were the largest white ethnic group in the city. He spoke a language. He could speak a language that was pretty close to Polish. And so he was able to, uh, to talk at Polish groups. Um, in fact, Cermak made a, uh, an alliance between Poles, Jews, Germans, and Czechs that was pretty unstoppable, and, and the South Side Irish, uh, he, the Bridgeport Irish. Um, and uh, that uh, created this machine that was almost unstoppable. So the Polish-American Democratic Organization rose very quickly in power, and you had seats that were the city clerk was a Polish position for a long time. Uh, by the 1950s, you had three or four Polish congressmen from uh, Chicago. Uh, but as the polls dispersed and moved into the suburbs, you're now suddenly in 800 or 900 different communities. You don't have the kind of clout you had when you stayed in the city. I think other groups are starting to feel that way too now. You know, Hispanics are moving more into the suburbs. Uh, the Arab population is moving more into the suburbs, Oaklawn and beyond. Uh, and so you see this dispersal of people, and that means a lack of political clout. And of course, uh, you know, when Nancy Kazak ran against Rahm Emanuel, uh, there were some real problems with that too and uh, with, with the public image of Polonia because of some anti-Semitic remarks that were made during the time period. Kazak lost uh, to Aram and, uh, well, you know what happened with Rahm Emanuel. <laughs> the Poles never had a mayor. They could never really – you know, part of the problem – Adamowski came as close as it could possibly come with his uh, run for the mayoralty in 1963 against Richard J. Daley. But, but you know, Southside polls tended to vote for Daley. Northside polls tended to vote for Adamowski. There's always been, by the way, this is, tr this is a real Chicago thing, this creation between, you know, this, this separation between Northside and Southside. You know, Southside polls feel that Northside polls think they're uppity. They, they think they're, you know, uh, a higher class. They're, there's always a sort of clash between, same thing between Southside blacks and Westside blacks, right? And so there's always this kind of, Division. It's kind of interesting. So you have divisions in Poland. You have divisions in Chicago. You have divisions in the Catholic Church. Uh, and so it's never really a really united group. So going back to that first question where we started, what does it mean to be Polish or what does it mean to be Polish-American? Mm -hmm. Where have we landed uh, in Chicago on that? Well, it's kind of interesting. You know, back in 1980, I was at a conference in Toronto with a bunch of Polish historians and sociologists. And I'm in Chicago. I'm always Polish, right? Everybody says I'm Polish. I go to Toronto and I met this thing and I said, well, you know, and I, I speak Polish, Chicago, the Chicago way. <laughs> and I said to these guys, well, you know, I'm Polish and I recited a little poem and we were drinking vodka and talking and the guy finally looked at me and says, you know, you're not Polish. You know, you're not Polish. And he was a Pole. He was from Poland. He was from Krakow. And it startled me because nobody had ever told me I wasn't Polish before and it really hit me hard. Um, years later, I went on a Fulbright to Poland to teach for a year, and he was there, and he hugged me, and he said, uh, welcome home. Uh, so, I mean, there is this kind of strange Chicago connection that can maintains itself. And I think that's what a lot of ethnic groups, I don't think you get it so much in other cities, but one of the famous Chicago questions is, what are you? 
Mm-hmm. And every Chicago knows what that means. It doesn't mean, oh, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a professor. It means I'm Polish or I'm, I'm Arab or I'm Mexican or I'm Lithuanian or I'm a Jew, right? It's not I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor, I'm a radio broadcaster. You know, it's, that's not what you are. You are what you are. Yeah. And that's the Chicago way. And other people get, come in here and they get insulted by that. But there's two important questions for Chicagoans. What are you? And what high school did you go to? (laughs) Those are the two important Chicago questions. That's Dominic Pasiga, Chicago historian and author of the new book, American Warsaw, The Rise, Fall, and Rebirth of Polish Chicago. Dominic, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. And that's today's Reset. I'm Odette Youssef. I'll be sitting in for Jen White once more tomorrow, so watch your feed for a brand new episode. Until then, thanks for making us part of your day during this hectic holiday season. This is Reset from WBEZ, Chicago's NPR station.